Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This episode is brought to you by Pestex Pest Control. Ben with Pestex sprayed my house a couple of weeks ago. He takes every precaution, mask and gloves, and he minimized touching any surfaces around our home. With the seasons changing and temperatures dropping, all the outside spiders and creepy crawlies and stuff are starting to come inside. Well, Pestex keeps them out, which, well, is super important to certain Boyette family members. I'm not naming names. Pestex is locally owned, uses pet-friendly products, and doesn't have a one-size-fits-all approach. They'll evaluate your pest problem and figure out how to solve it. To get in touch, call or text 806-433-8841 or follow Pestex on Facebook or Instagram. Today's guest is Dallas Bell. A few weeks ago, maybe you heard my guest Jasmine Taylor talking about the need for more bookstores in Amarillo. Well, Dallas is making that happen. She's the owner and operator of Burrowing Owl Books, an independent bookstore that started on the square in Canyon and now also has a location in Amarillo. Burrowing Owl is super cool. I don't know if you've been there, but... Dallas's story is a really unique one. All you hear about today is the demise of the local bookstore. Actually, pretty much any bookstore. But here, Dallas has actually launched two bookstores in this area. She's she's one of those accidental entrepreneurs who followed her passion and ended up finding a market for it. And in the process, she's given this community something really unique and really local. So here's Dallas Bell. Dallas Bell. Welcome to the Hamrilla Podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Of course. I, uh, I'm i glad to have you here. We are sitting as we have been on my back porch. Um, so far, it's still nice, not too windy. Beautiful weather. Nice day. Um, no noise in the alley or anything like that. So we'll see how far we get. But I want to start with you like I have with all of my guests and just ask how you ended up in this area in the first place. So what brought you to Amarillo Canyon, the Texas Panhandle, all those? Sure. Um, My husband and I moved here from North Carolina, from Durham, North Carolina. He was finishing up his residency at Duke and ended up at BSA, working at BSA. So thus we all moved here. Um, My two oldest girls were born in Durham. And then I have a third son who was born here in Amarillo. How long ago was that? Can you give me a time frame? Sure, 2005, December 2005. Okay. So we've been here for a while. And did you initially land in Amarillo or in the Canyon area? We did. We were we were um, in the Belmar okay. community. So and we lived there for um, till 2013, and then we moved down to Canyon, Texas. So, okay. Yeah. So let's let's go back a little bit. Tell me where you actually grew up. I grew up in southern Oklahoma, just north of Wichita Falls. Okay. In Warica. You might have seen it's the... pretty close to Texas. It's it Texas is adjacent. very, very yeah. close to Texas. My freshman year in, in um, high school, my parents sold the newspaper. They owned a newspaper okay. in, in Warica. And um, we moved to Stillwater, Oklahoma, um, where my father um, taught at OSU Journalism. Okay. So, and I graduated high school there and then went went on and went to college there as well. So, Okay. And then how did you end up in North Carolina? So I met my husband at Oklahoma State. He was an ag um, animal science degree major. And um, he ended up going to vet med school for a year. 
and then um, changed his mind, and we ended up going to med school in Little Rock, Arkansas. Okay. And then from there, he did his residency at Duke. Okay. So he switched from animal doctor to exactly. human doctor. Exactly. The question, I, I guess it's obvious for me to ask, is you spent a lot of time in, um, you know, southern Oklahoma. You spent time in North Carolina, both those places, mm -hmm. Stillwater, before mm -hmm. arriving here. Right. Um, what's different about this area, you know, compared to some of those other places that you lived? I can imagine Oklahoma feels pretty similar. Oklahoma is very similar. Um, for my kids would just be horrified to hear that, but it was very similar to Amarillo and the Canyon area. We kind of speak the same language over here on this side of the country. Right, so, right. right. Um, North Carolina, Little Rock, North Carolina was more southern. Um, Durham, Raleigh um, is even more urban than what we had lived in before. Barbecue there is just a beast of its own. It's yeah. totally different, yeah. you know. So the food is very different. The culture is very different. We loved our North Carolina years. We have friends and family there. Our kids were born there. Um, it was beautiful. But I-40 um, was at a standstill at 5 o'clock traffic, and it was 10 lanes of traffic going from um, Durham to Raleigh. And so there was just too many people, and we were so ready to get back over on this side of the, the states and back to where um, we were closer to family and the food and the culture that mm -hmm. we were more familiar with. Um, Todd's folks are from northwest Arkansas, so um, even that was getting back closer to family. So. But you were still along I-40. We were. I have never lived off of I-40 except for when I lived in Stillwater and Warica, but even then... We were on the I-40 corridor the entire time. Yeah, which so. is something that most people around here probably don't think about is right. that, you know, you can you can know I-40 just like Amarillo does, but you could be in, in Durham, you know? Exactly. It's a it, We have traveled the entire I-40 several times, so all the way to California even. We didn't live in California. <laughs> so you, you arrived here, you know, after your husband's medical school, already having children. Mm -hmm. What was... What was Amarillo like, you know, as a as a family, just kind of starting over like you were starting over with sure. kids? Sure. Um, you know, it was it was like coming home. I mean, it, it, the people of Amarillo are so kind and talkative and friendly and and um, you felt comfortable coming in and you fit in just perfect. I mean, just right from the start. Um, we were the churches were were um, amazing and um, we've. We enjoyed that. We we miss things from North Carolina. Um, we do miss the beach and we miss the mountains. Sure. I mean, we have obviously, neither. exactly. Um, but truly, coming coming over here, it was the people that really drew us. And um, we didn't know how long we would stay, but we're here this many years afterwards, and um, we just it's a great place to be. So, did you see Amarillo as as like a temporary stopover kind of place, or did you have intentions that this is where we're going to plant our family? So, growing up in Oklahoma, we would always go to New Mexico for the mountains. Okay, and we drove through Amarillo so many time and I, times, and I had no idea that there was actually a city here. In you thought it was like hotels and Burger Kings and exactly, things like that, right? Exactly. There was, you know, I didn't realize how deep it was. I mean, it was just a drive-through kind of thing. Um, when we were when we were interviewing for different jobs and everything, uh, or when Todd was interviewing for different jobs, he was looking for. Um, he wasn't quite sure what he was looking for. Um, he's a very talented guy. He's he's um, an educator. He's um, 
he's a great clinician, that type of thing. Um, he has his, um, and I'm going to give you a little bit of background on him. He yeah, has, that's fine. Um, he has a degree, or his, he was board certified in medicine and pediatrics. So okay. he's both med peds. And so he kind of has this, this way of fitting into different departments very well and very easily. Um, so when we were looking for a job, we originally had looked at, towards um, Tulsa, around the Tulsa area for just a private clinician do- job. And the more he thought about it, the more he realized that he really, really enjoyed teaching and he really enjoyed hospital work because he really thinks about, he likes complex cases. He, okay. I mean, that is that is his specialty is complex cases. Um, and so we were looking at a couple of jobs out there and nothing really spoke to us. They both had the same amount of pros and cons and we were weighing them and couldn't decide. And then we saw an advertisement in a journal when they used to have advertisements in journal, Mm -hmm. um, that Texas tech was looking for a, um, hospitalist service in Amarillo. So I was like, Hey, let's, let's try this. So he contacted Rodney Young, the chair of family medicine here at Texas tech and said, Hey, I'm interested. Can I come out? And so Rodney said, yes, go ahead, come on out. We'd love to see you. And within the day he was, he called me up because I didn't attend that one because I knew Amarillo, you know, it was a drive-through place, but, um, he called, um, Todd called me back and said, this is where we're going. I was Hmm. like, great. So this is how we ended up here. Do you know, like for him to know that that strongly or with that much certainty. Do you know what it was? I mean, was it something about sure. Texas Tech? Was it something about sure. the hospitals he was, here? So the hospitalist service hadn't started yet. Todd was the one who was instrumental in starting the hospitalist service under the family medicine department at BSA. And so he was the director of hospital services for um, two or three years and then BSA had decided they would rather take it under their wing. And so it kind of power shifted and that type of thing. And Todd ended up working um, in the internal medicine department at Texas Tech at that point in time. So he switched over from family medicine to internal medicine and then did part time with with um, pediatrics at Texas Tech as well. Then um, how he knew so quickly, he knew that he loved teaching. So it was an academic position. Um, he knew that it was a challenge because it was um, starting up a, a service, I mean, that had never been before here in the Panhandle, which is fantastic. Um, and, and it was a diagnostic um, challenge for him, too, being that it's a hospitalist service. Sometimes clinics, get you get the run of the mill, and hospitalist is a little bit more complex. Okay. So that's how he knew. And then at the time, you had two kids. Yes. Um, one, you know, still to come, I guess. I mean, yes. were, were you... A stay-at-home mom? Were you working? I was a stay-at-home mom. I did work part-time at Trinity Baptist Church, Mother's Day Out, just as a um, fill-in every once in a while and just to kind of get to meet people. So, Okay, and at some point uh, you said that you had lived in the Belmar area, but you guys moved to Canyon. Tell me about that. We did. So that was an interesting thing. We we had property up north of town um, near the Woodlands area, and we were planning on building a home there. But a motocross went in real close to it, and we decided it was we did not want to build on a land that had a motocross. Okay. So, um, I had a, um, a, my, our real estate agent had said, hey, I found this house down in Kenyon. Would you be interested in it? I really think you would love it. And so sure enough, we went down there and found the property, found the house and everything, and um it was on the canyon, 
Todd really enjoys having some space. He grew up on a beef cattle farm, and so he he really wanted some land. He wanted to be away from the city um, just to kind of get away and have okay. his own barn and that type of thing. And so we found this wonderful, beautiful place, and it was for sale, and it hadn't even come upon the market yet. And so that's how we ended up in Canyon. So Okay, so... You know, we will get to the point, you know, where you open the Burrowing Owl there in Canyon. But, like, tell me about the community you found there. I I know if you were living, you know, out in the country a little bit on the edge of the canyon, you weren't really immersed in the city of Canyon. Right. However, that's, you know, that's your destination for stuff. So so tell me what that was like. So... in, in fact, we did live peripheral from Canyon. Um, it was, um, it's where my kids went to school. Um, so we would take them in every day to school. And, and um, I really didn't get immersed into Canyon until I opened up the bookshop. Okay. So uh, um, we continued to go into our church congregation here in Amarillo because it, it was just as close for us to go there as it would be to go to a, a Canyon church because we were far enough out. Right. Um, and so we had, my kids had really wanted to stay with their youth group and with that church at that point in time. So, um, we really didn't get totally immersed and like I said, until we opened up the bookshop. Okay. So So. tell me, tell me about that process. So obviously, you know, he was busy, your kids were in school, you had been a stay at home mom. When did the idea to open the bookstore, like start to germinate? Where did that come from? Crazy. So we were, Todd and I oftentimes will go on a date trip once a year. It's been a long time. But once a year, we'll go on a date trip. And usually it's in conjunction with one of his conferences. And this particular conference was up in Chicago. So we were, we were, um, had gotten off the L train and we're walking during, through Oak Park and came upon this used bookstore that was just really cool. I mean, it was just really neat. And, um, I looked at Todd and I said, boy, it would be really nice if the square had a bookshop. And that's how it germinated. I mean, that seed was planted and then we started collecting books just here and there. And before we knew it, we had 10,000 books in our living room with with no sight. I mean, no plan in sight to... Well, we had a plan in sight to move forward, but we obviously had to move a lot quicker than we had anticipated. Um, It was really interesting. Um, We had decided to open up a bookshop only if there was a location that we we thought was good, that was decent, because as everyone says, it's all dependent upon the location. It's mm-hmm. it's everything, and um, but you were already focused on the square, right? We like, were is already that what you were? focused on the square. Okay. And a spot was open, and we thought, well, if we're going to do it, we might as well just do it. And so we kind of jumped in um, and signed a lease on it. And um, so that's how that idea came to be. Todd is very, um, growing up on a farm, Todd is very handy with his hands. So he has built every single one of my bookshelves or many of my bookshelves. But um, it just so turned, it turned out that um, Hastings ended up closing right before we opened as well. And so we were able to actually buy some of their stock as well as some of their shelving units and that type of thing to help us get started. And so we gradually added more pieces and took away Hastings pieces so we could go ahead and um, start selling books off the shelves. I'm interested in the part of it where you think, boy, it would be cool if Canyon had a bookstore (laughs) and then 10,000 books later that you just purchased. I mean, did did you go to... We didn't purchase all of them, though. Some of them were just like donated, estate Mm -hmm. sales or what? Oh, our family heard that we were... So growing up with my family... We always went to 
bookshops. My, you know, we're reading family. I mean, we, I grew up in a newspaper family. Um, and so we always had books. So my dad was had tons of books. His parents kept giving me books. I mean, we were just, the church would give us books. The It just, um, people gave books. I mean, they were excited to see this happening. But also Hastings, when they were going out, we started thinking, wow, these are really nice books. And so mm-hmm. we started picking them up for a really decent price for and us. And they had a large selection of used books that they were selling at the exactly, time, right? Exactly, exactly, a large selection. And so we were we were buying books left and right. Uh, right before we opened, so that was in September that we signed a lease. Um, we found out that there was a um, um, bookseller association. And so their fall conference was in October. So we went up to Denver and it was a Mountain Plains Bookseller Association and it's an independent bookseller um, group. And it's associated with ABA, the American Bookseller Association. Um, so we ended up at that point deciding to do to do new books as well as used books. Okay. So that's how my new books came in with the used books. Now, mind you, probably 80% of our books are used. So You've told me this before. I don't know if this is still true, but you ended up being the only only independent bookstore between we Dallas were. and Denver? Exactly. Now, mind you, since that time, um, I think Lubbock has opened one. Okay. Um, there's um, in Clarendon, um, a lady is opening up a used bookstore on the downtown in Clarendon, which is exciting, and it's going to be used. Um, and then um, just recently up in Perryton, there's a girl who is working on opening up a bookshop up there. So that there will be three other um, stores besides the Burrowing Owl in the Panhandle. Which is is fascinating because the story for so long was the decline in independent bookstores. Exactly. I mean, even even in like big corporate bookstores, Books a Million and places like that are exactly. closing all over the place. Why why is it starting to uptick with some of these independents? Well, before COVID, because <laughs> COVID really hit it hard. Yeah. Um, because we don't make a lot of money. <laughs> I will tell you that. It's a, it's a love thing that we do. But... Um, before COVID, it was the millennials actually hmm. that have started the uptick because they enjoyed the experience of going into a store and holding a book and reading the book at the store. The whole thing is that, uh, supposedly about the experience, the whole experience of the bookshop. And so that's what they're looking for. They're not looking to go into a, a um, Books a Million just because it's a box store. Um, they're looking for that experience that the the um, owner can recommend a book or they'll have different quirky things or um, just something that's very significant to that bookshop. So, Which is really interesting how the culture shifts in that direction. I mean, you it have is. people probably our generation or my parents' generation that read physical books for years and years, and then all of a sudden the Kindle's available, and right. they're like, I have 300 books on this Kindle. Right. Um, but then the younger generation's are moving away from that technology back to the tactile part of it. Exactly. And I think it's really important to realize how important it is for that tactile um, perspective. And um, studies have been shown that you retain so much more if you read from a physical book than if you're doing it on computer, Hmm. which really concerns me about a lot of our college (laughs) um, education at this point um, in the sense that they do a lot of their their textbooks on computers. Right, exactly. um, If you're like me, 
Um, I when I read a book, I flip back and forth. I mean, I'm like, oh, what did that character do? And I'll go back a couple of pages to see who he was related to or how that was in relation to the story. Um, with a Kindle. You don't have that option. Yeah, it's harder. It's very much, yeah. The idea of opening an independent bookstore in a town like Canyon, you know, a college town, for a lot of people, wherever they live, might be like this romantic notion. People say, oh, I want to do this. It sounds like such a great idea, running this business. You know, on the square, people will pop in. But like the reality of executing the concept is a big, big step. And then making it work financially, I can imagine, is... It is. A, a constant challenge because, like you said, it's not a real high margin kind of no. business, especially used books. Exactly. Um, tell me, like, tell me why, you know, so many years later, you're still afloat. You're still able to do this. Is, is there some secret? You know, it, it, and it's real interesting. I think Canyon had a, has a lot to go, going for it. So Canyon has a lot going for it. Um, you have the Paladura Canyon there. So you have a huge tourist industry for this part of the country. I mean, there's a lot of tourism coming in from the Paladura. When they're done with hiking, they come into town. Right. So that's something that we were able to provide was an alternative thing to do with there okay. in Canyon. Um, WT um, is a great school. It pulls people from all over the panhandle. Um, and so they may be coming in for band contests or ag, ag contests or whatever, and they'll take time to go downtown to see what it's all about, and they'll come in. So we actually have a pretty decent tourism down there. Um, and um, they do provide a good portion of my my income during a normal year. Okay. So. Also, the community, they really support their their local businesses. I mean, that's those are really important to them. So if they're going to look for a book, they'll come to me first. And they'll, they'll right. try. So there's a mindset, like, instead of how easy it would be to order something on Amazon, they'll exactly. ask you. Exactly. Or... And this is this is why we were bringing it up to Amarillo is because um, I would have Amarillo people come down ever so often, but for Canyon people to go up to Amarillo, that was a long ways to go to Barnes and Noble to right. Target to wherever else you might buy a book. Um, so they opted to stay here and find out what we have. So okay, so yeah, you 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 mentioned the the next direction I wanted to go. Um, after several years, you decided to open a shop in Amarillo. So exactly. tell me a little bit about that. I, I understand maybe the reasoning with people not having to travel, but a you know this this quaint little bookstore on the square right. in Canyon has a different feel from you know finding whatever strip mall or shopping center you want to put one in in Amarillo. So it how was, did you decide that? It was really difficult um, trying to find the place that we wanted to be because um, I have in my mind the rustic feel that the Canyon shop gives to coming up here and there's really nothing to mimic that. Yeah. That Other feel. than maybe 6th Street. I mean, I, like, like that would have been... Street, except I wasn't really comfortable with putting a bookshop on 6th Street just for, for various reasons. So exactly. But 6th Street would have been the other option. We have so many people that, um, or we have had so many customers that were driving down to Canyon just to come to our bookshop. And many of my customers are actually older than 60 years old, 70 years old, 80 years old. And so they're driving down there every single day. And I'm sitting there thinking they really need to stay in Amarillo just for safety reasons a lot of times. And um, wouldn't it be nice if we had something available in Amarillo? 
And um, so that was kind of got me started thinking. Plus, people kept on saying, hey, when are you bringing it to Amarillo? I was getting it from this person and that person and this person. And so we had definite requests for us to move a, a bookstore up to Amarillo because the only bookstore we have is Barnes & Noble. Right. I mean, that is it. Finally decided on the location, which is at 34th and Coulter, uh, next to Jason's Deli and TJ Maxx in that area. Um, we knew we couldn't replicate what we had in in Canyon in terms of the, the essence of the store. Um, so we kind of went with a mid-century feel instead of okay. a rustic feel. Um, it just so happened that it worked out that way, and it looks pretty nice. But we kept it the same model as what we did down in Canyon. And, and still uh, about the same distance from a Palace Coffee as you were in Canyon. Exactly, just right across the parking lot So from Palace. Have, can you tell a difference then, having the two locations um, in the people who shop at each? Like, is obviously Amarillo and Canyon have their differences, but like, right. is, is there a distinct different types of books, different preferences, different patterns that you see? There are, and it, there's a lot of different things um, going on. I, I see that um, in Canyon we made a lot of relationships to, I mean, from the very start, I, I have my customers. Those are my customers. And you see them on a regular I basis. I see them on a regular basis. They'll pop in, we'll talk, we'll discuss books, we'll discuss whatever is on their mind and then they you know but they they have become friend we have become inundated in canyon i know people in canyon now because of that right um up in amarillo we do have our customers as well but it's taken us longer to get to that point people up in amarillo are bringing in more contemporary work okay um the ones that we have down in canyon haven't brought in as much um new releases, that type of thing. So we're These are the ones who are like selling you their used a books, doing a trade? Exactly, okay. doing our trade credit. And so they, um, so we're seeing a, a different variety of types of books at the Amarillo store versus the, the Canyon store. We saw for a while that in the Canyon store, we did um, story time and that type of thing. It did wonderful. This was before COVID. Um, we did story time and that type of thing. Did It did wonderful. Um, up in Amarillo, it never took off, and hmm. then COVID happened. We were we were waiting for the summer to really push it. Right. COVID happened, so we're going to push it for next summer to okay. really get it started back again. Because you opened the Amarillo store when? We opened it in October. Okay. Yes. So you just had a few months to really get exactly. established before you had to exactly. shut down and exactly. relearn how to do that. Yes. I, I know that a big part, at least of, of the Canyon store, and, and that may be something that you're continuing to introduce here is bringing in local authors, having local events, having, you know, poetry readings and exactly. things like that. Why, like, why is that, that part something that you focused on? That's the fun part. Okay. So, um, it's always fun to bring in a lo um, local authors, poets, just different artists coming through. Um, you get to meet them, you get to talk to them, you get the, the whole community to come in and sit and listen, to enjoy each other, to discuss ideas, to have that community um, of, of intellectuals. Mm -hmm. um, we've had um, both poetry, High Plains Poetry Project there. We've also had great books, and both of those are identified with WT English Department. It's a little bit somewhat separate, but within that department. Right. So, um, and so it, it's just really nice to to get to know your customer. That's why I, we started up in um, we started up in Amarillo doing those, and then um, COVID hit, 
Um, and so we've take we've stopped all events at this point in time. We've had to, and so we're missing that. I mean, yeah. we're missing the the author signings. We're missing. Well, it's um, that community aspect that it builds the for the bookstore. I, I, one of our one of our sayings on our book we're your your friendly neighborhood bookstore and that's what we want to be and that's part of that community is to to bring in people for for our customers to come in and to real realize that how genuine a bookstore is i mean it is authentic it's it's there it's about people it's about ideas it's about um talking the love language of books mm-hmm. so so your husband's career brought you to this area. Yes. Did you see yourself becoming an entrepreneur, the owner of multiple no, bookshops? No, not at all. Is, there, is this mean, a surprise to you? It was a total surprise. I hadn't anticipated that. So people are, people were like, oh, you got what you dreamed for. I never dreamed. This was not the dream. This. No, I never dreamed about this. I grew up in in libraries. So I grew up working libraries during um, elementary school and high school. And even in college, I worked at a public library. But I had never thought about putting in a bookstore. So. Now, I mean, now that you're into it, though, does yeah. it feel like a good fit? I mean, does this feel oh. like, man, this is something I was born to do. I just didn't know it until it, now. Exactly. And I've I've said that many a times. I was like, wow, I finally found my career, you know, kind of thing. And um, I love being a full-time mom, um, but I really love adding this to being a full-time mom. So I don't, I think once you're a full-time mom, you're always a full-time mom. I mean, that never stops, you know? Yeah. Um, so I always say I'm a full-time mom and a bookshop owner, so. Is Amarillo a book-loving community? Is Canyon a book? I mean, can, can you say that the people who live in this area provide you enough of the business, enough of that passion for books that you need? They do. Um, so the people of Canyon really, or Canyon and Amarillo really do provide the love of books. They do come in. They do buy. Um, one of the things I really enjoy doing is someone comes in and says, wow, I just absolutely loved this book. I love saying, if you loved this book, you're going to absolutely love this book. So so the people that who love books want more similar to that. And mm-hmm. it's always nice being able to recommend something similar Um because they're looking for that. They they don't know what's on the shelves. They don't know what's um, available to them. But So they look to the bookshop owner or the bookseller that we have and say, hey, can you recommend? Because they want to read more and more with that. When COVID happened, um, they it stopped cold for a while. And then it, it started picking back up and we're back to normal again. Um, with our customers coming in, mm-hmm. the word's getting out, and we're bringing more customers in, especially up in Amarillo. So it took a while for Amarillo to catch on that we were up there. It's becoming more and more that our book lovers are finding us and are appreciating the, the affordable cost of our books at yeah, this exactly. point in time. Yes. Is, is this a community, now that you've opened shops in Canyon and Amarillo, have you found this area to be a place where entrepreneurs or where small business owners can thrive, like can try something like you tried. Absolutely. I think it's really important to reach out to your your city leaders, um, your city personalities to mm-hmm. really encourage that. Um, I know that I depended a lot, upon, a lot upon my connections that I had made already down in Canyon. So to, to help me get started up here and to pass the word along. Right. Um, it was, Amarillo is fun. It's, it's very local. 
I mean, we like our local restaurants. We like our local businesses. We like um, everything local. And um, I, the people, once they find out that, hey, this is, this is not a, um, a big chain store, they're, they're much more apt to support you and to come in and, and shop you before they do anything else. Yeah, they want you to succeed. Exactly. This episode is also sponsored by Bivens Point. I haven't seen my 99-year-old grandmother in person for months because we've been protecting her health during this pandemic. A lot of folks are also thinking about senior health care. They're trying to protect the senior adults that we love. Now, someday we may get to a place where we have to make decisions about rehab or nursing care for those family members. When that time comes, turn to Bivens, a long-trusted name for senior health care in Amarillo. They've suspended visitation right now, but if you'd like to learn more about this wellness community, visit BivensPoint.org. That's point with an E. Okay, I'm back with Dallas Bell of the Burrowing Owl here in Amarillo and in Canyon. Dallas, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. Uh, I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. Your job as my guest is to answer those. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum in Canyon. I know you're familiar with it. Absolutely. Uh, it's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes at least eight famous West Texas cattle brands on its unique Art Deco entrance. Actually, it's got more than like 100 brands, but that's okay. such a striking entrance to the museum. It is beautiful. Kind of sets the tone as you're walking in there. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's, it's a historical part of the museum by itself. Um, so you can learn more at panhandleplains.org. Okay, eight straight. Okay. I'm going to start with the question that I've been asking my guests uh, over the summer and, and into the fall. But what's one thing the last few months, whether it's related to the pandemic or the protests, um, that it's revealed to you about local people? And as a small business owner, I imagine you've had a front row seat to right. a lot of the challenges that that's right, brought. Right, exactly. Um, one of the things that I've noticed about the local people um, the Panhandle folks, when they see a need, they rise up to meet it. Um, just first and foremost, whether it would be um, sewing masks for all of our healthcare workers mm-hmm. and and um, nursing home residents or or um, patients, also um, with the seniors, with our seniors not getting a full graduation, they rose up. They adopted our seniors. They made sure that they had a a, a better senior year than what was anticipated. It's it was it's really heartfelt. It's warm. If they see that need, if they believe in it, they totally will support it a hundred percent. And it's required a lot of I think creativity. I mean, not just Major from the school creativity. system, but like mm-hmm. with parents and with you know, the way that you do business. All those everybody's had to shift. Exactly, and just even identifying the needs that are out there at that point in time. I mean, we've we've had to be creative. We've had to figure out how we're going to make this work and how how we can better serve our customers or um, or be able to serve our customers within this time period as well. So, Okay. What does this area have too much of? Wind. <laughs> I'm, I am not a big fan of wind, I have to say. So it's, um, and I know it's not, um, that's one thing that cannot be changed, but it is the wind. Did, did Oklahoma have wind like that when you lived there? Does we it... had wind, but not to this extreme. Okay. So it has taken off three of my lamps on the outside of my um, shop down in Canyon. Really? Yes. Um, so um, we've had to learn how to um, avoid getting hit by um, flying <laughs> lamps and that type of thing. So it has impacted us, but um, it, it's very windy. 
Yeah. Them. Okay. Yeah. But nobody's going to argue with that. No, no one's going to argue with that one. What does this area not have enough of? Recycling. Yes. So we are, we moved here from North Carolina. North Carolina had a fantastic recycling program and it was, um, it was where you recycled within your home. You took it out to the, to the, um, street and the appropriate people came and picked it up. And that's once a week you were required to do it. If you, it was really wonderful. I would love to see something like that happen around here. And so many of the places I've been, even cities the size of Amarillo, like that's just right. a natural part of what exactly. they provide. So I don't know if it's a resources issue, if it's a cultural issue, like why we don't have it to the degree that no Oklahoma idea. City has it or, exactly. or someplace. Exactly. I would love to see that happen here. So, How do you describe Amarillo and Canyon to people outside this area? If you're talking to people you knew in Durham or, or back home. Right. What? They, they ask, what, what, what is so special about Am- why Amarillo? Why didn't you come back? Right? Yeah, why did you not come back? And it always points back to the people. And we, we say amazing people, amazing sunsets. And that pretty much sums up Amarillo. It's um, the people make it. It's, it's very... Um, we're talented, we're, we're innovative, we're, we're good folks, want to raise your family here. It's a good place. What's your favorite Amarillo restaurant? And, and maybe I should expand that because I, I don't want to discount Canyon. So what's your favorite Amarillo or Canyon restaurant? Oh, I could add to Canyon. Or you can do Canyon. one in each city if you'd oh, like to. Oh, there we I, go. I'll give you freedom. Um, you know, I, we love, so I love Roosters. I think Roosters is just wonderful. I love their chicken salad, and that's here in Amarillo. Right. So um, I love their chicken salad um, sandwich, and their salad is just a die for. It's just wonderful. So, um, and it's small, it's local, it's... It's fresh. It's good. So, okay. Um, Canyon, I have to say that um, we hit all of them. I mean, we we eat out all the time, so I can't just say one person. Well, entity, they're your business so. community too. Yes, You've got a restaurant are, right next to you. So exactly. So we we eat at all of them about the same amount. So okay. Yes. What's the most underrated aspect of living in this area? I would say Texas Tech Pediatrics. Okay. So I, um, I hear of so many people taking their children to Dallas for specialty, subspecialty services, and we have an amazing subspecialty group here. We have um, fantastic endocrinologists, cardiologists, oncologists. We have, um, we have it all available here. And when people are taking their, their child outside to or a Dallas hospital. If the child ever has issues, they still come to the, the pediatric hospital here. Right. So I, I really think that it is undervalued and underrated for that. Um, many of our um, specialists are, are trained, whether, whether at Duke or UAB or I mean, all over. They're, they're very well-educated and very good at what they do. Okay, I, my, my next question was going to be, when is the last time you went to Paladuro Canyon? That's before I knew that you actually lived on the edge of the canyon where you live. So tell me what it's like to live um, in a place that a lot of people will visit, you know, uh, as, a, as a trip in the summer. But, like, that's right. where you get up every morning. So uh, one of the things we were talking about, um, about under, being underrated, and um, we, we say the stars, um, of course, where we live, you step outside and you can see the Milky Way and you can see all of the constellations and everything at night. You can see the, the um, 
um, showers and everything. And so it's it's really fantastic because we don't have the light pollution. Yeah, and we, we think of Amarillo being a smaller city that it doesn't have the light pollution exactly. that Dallas or Houston might have, but exactly. it still is enough that it takes away a lot of what exactly. you might see. And so uh, living out on the edge of a canyon, we have a wide swath of land that we we're, we get to watch that. We get to watch our, our um, roadrunners come up or even the porcupines or other critters that are always a lot of fun as well. The air feels soft. It's quiet out there. Um, and we can just kind of see the change of the seasons march through the canyon around uh, out back in our backyard basically it's it's beautiful so. okay that that makes it sound really nice it is it's very nice <laughs> okay so you're a you're a bookshop owner uh so i i can't let you get away without asking this what's your all-time favorite novel that's a very hard question believe it or not um i'm gonna have to because i'm i'm sitting there I, th- I think about so many different books that i absolutely adored like a gentleman in moscow or Cersei or um, All the Light We Cannot See. Um, but I, I will go to the one that um, really made me a reader as a as a youth, and that was To Kill a Mockingbird. Okay. My seventh grade year, I was still reading um, Nancy Drew novels. Mm-hmm. And um, my mother, who works for me, by the way, and my mother was like, you need to read something different. And so she made me read To Kill a... She read the first page of To Kill a Mockingbird, and that totally switched how I started reading. Hmm. And it totally changed the pace of what I read too. So I never went back to to poor writing, I guess. And so. I've I've never thought of To Kill a Mockingbird in the context of getting there from Nancy Drew, but it makes sense. Like as a right? step up from a a plucky female protagonist to another plucky female protagonist, exactly. but like with all these big social issues kind of weighing on it exactly. beyond you know whatever mystery Nancy was going to solve, right. uh, which is really, that's a really interesting, you know, transition to make. It is. And, you know, it, Scout is just precocious and she's, she's fantastic as a, um, she, she's so much more deep than what Nancy Drew ever was. You know, I love Nancy Drew to this day, but um, just the social issues um, that they were going through, I was not familiar with that part of the world either. Mm-hmm. I mean, that expanded my world beyond finding what was hidden in the old clock. You exactly. Know? So um, I didn't realize that that type of thing had happened because I was growing up in a very small southern town of about 1,200 people in which none, you know, the outside world didn't really come in. So um, it was, it really was an. Um, eye-opening experience just to read that and to really look for books similar to that. So, hmm. My my own transition was from The Hardy Boys, which I devoured <laughs> as a kid, right? to uh, The Lord of the Rings by Tolkien, oh, which yes. is an even broader <laughs> yes. switch in worlds yes. um, and doesn't make nearly as much sense as, you know, Nancy, Nancy Drew to, to Scout. Scout. So <laughs> yours is better. I don't know. I love The Hobbit, too. So I, I ended up reading The Hobbit real soon after that. So. Well, I, that's a natural transition, I it's, think. Okay, so that concludes the eight straight questions, Dallas. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So what's one thing locally that you would want listeners to know about or to experience? I think it's very important to shop small, shop local, but I also think it's also important to give local. Um, So I'm going with Children's Miracle Network. Okay. Um, I find that they have, and I will read you what they had on their, um, within their, Um, description, all of the funds raised stay local 
and they go to help local kids. They pay for bills, they pay for new equipment, and they pay for even recruiting um, subspecialties here in the, the panhandle. Okay. Um, one of the things I find um, interesting is there's a lot of wonderful children's hospitals that do major fundraising um, throughout the United States, um, and they will hit up different different um, restaurants to support them with that, to, to push their fundraising. But when you do that, your money goes outside of the outside of the area okay. it does not stay local and i think it's so important to support our kids here in the panhandle to get the care that they need so. okay great well, dallas bell thank you so much for being on the hey Amarillo podcast i thank appreciate you. it this was so much fun thank you and that concludes the episode i want to say thanks to dallas for the interview thanks to Pestex and bivens point for sponsoring the show and to panhandle plains historical museum for sponsoring eight straight every week This episode and all the other episodes are edited by Angelina Marie. Hey, you can follow this podcast on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter if you're wondering what my guests look like. I take photos of me with the guests every week. Also, if you want to join the local people who support this podcast financially, visit patreon.com slash heyamarillo. Supporters of Hey Amarillo through Patreon include executive producers Chris Selda, Josh Wood, Barbara and Jim Whitten, Patrick Burns, Wes Reeves, Wilson Lemieux, Jason Burr, Katie Linger, Jess Heredia, Neil Nossiman, Joshua Rafe, and Ryan Pennington. This has been episode 169. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.